We're going to read uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And uh, again, Alex, thank you. That was powerful. Thank you for leading us in song. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Uh, Let's hear God's word today. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing to have your word and for it to be able to speak into our lives today. God, I pray uh, that as we gather, uh, as we have come now to your word, God, that you would use it powerfully in our lives. Lord, we acknowledge uh, that on our own, we would not understand your scriptures. We wouldn't know what it means uh, to follow you, to be faithful and mature believers. But God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can raise us to know you and to truly follow you as our Savior. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We live in a uh, culture that is obsessed with all things uh, weight and body image related. If I can get an amen, no, yeah, maybe. Like you recognize that, right? Every commercial, all kinds of different things are, are related around how you look, especially around the New Year's. Every gym, you know, puts a whole big advertising campaign. You got to come there. Every diet plan, you know, is promoted online as, hey, this is how uh, you will be the you that you want to be. Uh, all through body image and diet and exercise type things. And and you know, this is is popular when there are fads, you know, you know, like fads or something like a, a, a fashion trend or something, but there are fads when it comes to dieting, these kind of ebbs and flows of things that are popular with the way we eat. And they're primarily about trying to convince us that we need to look uh, a certain way, you know. So uh, just a quick look online. You're familiar with things like the keto diet, intermittent, intermittent fasting, the vegan diet, Weight Watcher, paleo, Mediterranean diet, and a hundred different types of protein shakes that it you know, everybody in your social media feed is trying to sell you, right? Like, there's so many things. And if some of those have been helpful to you and have allowed you to be healthy and, and feel better, that's a great thing, and that's a wonderful thing. There are many uh, of those plans out there that are not helpful. I looked at some of the crazy ones out there. There is a cigarette diet, you know, like saying, hey, you could just smoke cigarettes and you'll lose weight. You know, hey, there's kind of some pros and cons you want to weigh out here, right? Uh, there is a baby food diet. There's a sleeping beauty diet. There is a uh, master cleanse diet. There's a Twinkie diet. There's a chewing thing, like just chew, chew, chew diet. All kinds of crazy diets out there. And the fact that all those things exist and are so popular tell us a couple things. Uh, They tell us that uh, we have a problem. And it's two things. Yes, we, we may need, we, we may have a, some, some health issues we need to get under control. 
you know, there's a, generally we probably eat too much sugar and don't exercise enough. But probably even more important, we have a, a body image issue, don't we? We put our identity in how we look. We put our identity, you know, the, the makeup industry. These are humongous industries that are all built around what we look like. Because what they're trying to tell us is to be, to be healthy, these are the things you need. You need, to, you need to eat this crazy, elaborate diet, and you need to, to put on this amount of makeup, and you need to you know, do your hair this certain way, all this. This will make you healthy. That's the idea. This will make you beautiful and smart and, and look great if you just do all of these things. Now, this body is a gift from the Lord. Your body is a gift. This is something we're called to steward and to, to, be, uh, to be wise with. Just like any other gift, if somebody gives you something, you want to take care of it. And so, yes, we probably should all uh, eat in moderation and eat a well-balanced diet and be regularly involved in exercise. Those are very good things. But if we want to talk about what really makes you healthy, it's a different kind of diet. There is a, a more important diet than the things that you're physically eating. Those may be symptoms and may point to a, a deeper thing. But when we talk about what really makes you healthy, it comes from a different place. Our passage today uh, talks about being healthy, but in a different way. Three different times in the passage uh, I just read, he uses the word that the ESV translates as sound. And we have used this word in our, uh, the, the description of the whole series through the book of Titus, sound in doctrine. And that word for sound is elsewhere used in the Bible to just mean healthy, to mean healthy. So there's an example in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus heals uh, the centurion's servant. The centurion comes and asks that his servant is, is sick, and they go in the back to the, to the house, and they found that the centurion's servant has been made well or healthy. And it's the same word here. It's that you're physically, emotionally, spiritually, that things are well with you. So what Paul is writing to Titus is about being healthy, and not just physically. He's talking about a much deeper sense that spiritually we are healthy. He's talking about a healthy lifestyle and a healthy church and healthy church leaders that helps people grow in a healthy way. So I titled our series in this book uh, of Titus, Sound Doctrine and Zealous and Good Works, because when we are healthy in what we know and what we believe and what we follow, it leads into healthy actions, to doing good things. Right doctrine leads to right actions. And so it starts with sound doctrine, which is namely, that, that, that specifically is talking about the gospel. Verse 1 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine. He's about to give us, We'll see this long list of different things, of different people and the way they should act. And all of that is grounded in the sound doctrine that runs all through the course of this book and throughout the Bible. Sound doctrine is grounded in Christ. Whatever else our problems are, whatever else our issues are, we have to be grounded in this first and foremost. That we are sinners. We are unhealthy on our own. But Christ has come and He has paved the way by dying on the cross so that we could be in relationship with Him. That's where a healthy lifestyle begins. It starts in being grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is sound doctrine. And when we're grounded there first, then it translates into action. And the gospel is what carries us through. Our relationship with Christ carries us so that we walk and live our lives with Him. So sound doctrine starts with the gospel. You can't get to God on your own. In fact, the Bible tells us we are dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything. Christ had to come and make us alive in order to be able to walk with Him. 
So as he talks about how we're supposed to live, all of this is based on what Christ has done for us and bringing us alive. So to begin with Jesus, we turn from our sins, we begin to walk with Him in a healthy lifestyle, and boy, do we need it. We desperately need a healthy lifestyle because I don't know about you, but you look around the world, it's a very unhealthy place. There is so much brokenness and despair and unhealthy things going on. We, we, need, we need some carrots, you know what I mean? Like we need healthy food. We need to be grounded in something that matters and something that's good. Not just food, of course. I mean spiritually. The world is full of all kinds of evil things and crazy things, which helps us really relate to what's going on here. Paul's writing to Titus. He's on this island called Crete. And we saw last week, this is how the people are described. They are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That was 2,000 years ago. So apparently these problems have not been solved because we are still facing some of those same type things. So all the, all the crazy fad diets out there uh, and all the different things that are going on are, are pointing to the world saying, hey, we want to be healthier. But here's the Bible saying no, this is true health, true, true uh, following of Christ. What really makes us healthy is by coming to Him. So here in Titus 1, when he starts with teaching what's in accord with sound doctrine, he's, he's referencing what happened last week. He says, but as for you. Last week he was talking about false teachers, all the bad ways that people are being led astray to unhealthy things. He says, but as for you. Let's go a different way. Let's go a healthy way that's in a better direction. So in Titus 2, he talks about this aspect of being spiritually healthy and that, that we all have a part to play. We're all involved in this. Uh, and so older women, older men, younger women, younger men, he's making, as I read through, you may have heard all those references. Here's, here's the point he's making. Younger and older men and women, we all have challenges and responsibilities. We all have challenges and responsibilities. When he's walking through each of these groups, he, he's pointing out both differences and similarities to say, no matter who you are, whatever, whatever age, gender you are, you, you, we all have different challenges and responsibilities. And so every group he addresses separately, but I, I want to start actually with the things that he overlaps, things that every group has in common. And there's one characteristic that's mentioned three different times, and that is self-control. Uh, in verse 1, he's talking about sound or healthy doctrine, and then three times he says self-control. Uh, he says it in verse 2 about the older men, that they should have self-control. In verse 4, he says younger women uh, are supposed to have self-control. Younger men in verse 6 are supposed to have self-control. And then the people who are supposed to tell the younger women are the older women. And you can't tell somebody something you don't know, right? So all four of those groups are supposed to have self-control. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be mature Christians, this is a good place as far as it comes to our characters, characteristics, a good place to start. It's not something you can create on your own. If you flip over to Galatians 5, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the last one there is self-control. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, has to be alive and working in our hearts for our passions to become, come under control. It's self-control, really it's spirit control, right? He is the one working in us. And if we lack self-control, then it's a work of the Spirit that we need in us. Self-control, if we, without it, will be careless and foolish. What we need is discernment and discretion. Uh, many times uh, that means delaying gratification, not seeking the easy and simple thing that doesn't really make us healthy. There was a, uh, for a little while, I don't, I don't keep up, I'm not sure if this is still going on, but for a while I kept seeing videos pop up 
where parents would uh, video their children. And so they'd set the camera up and they would uh, put a, a, something sweet in front of their child, right? Like a cookie or a piece of candy or something. And they would say, you know, hey, honey, darling, don't, don't eat this right now. I'm going to go back here. And when I come back, then, then we'll talk about this, right? So here's a three-year-old, four-year-old, something, six-year-old, 25-year-old, somebody uh, with, a, with a cookie in front of them with the instructions not to eat it. And so the videos are hilarious because you watch this little kid looking down at the dessert, looking back at mom, looking at the dessert, and you can see the dilemma, the moral dilemma is going on in their head. And more often than not, what do they do? They eat the cookie, right? And it's funny when you're six, <laughs> funny when you're three. And yet, how many of us go through life with the self-control of a six-year-old? We, we go through life unable to turn away. If, if something is put in front of us, we have a hard time not taking it. When we were uh, in seminary, uh, I lived, we, we lived in this little bitty apartment. My desk, where I did most of my seminary work, was in our kitchen. And I had a rolling chair, which means I could do this, and I was at the fridge, you know, which is a very dangerous place to be. And Amber fi quickly figured this out. We had just, this was like our first year of marriage. She figured out that if there's anything in the fridge that needs to be eaten, all she had to do was put it, at the, when they opened the door, that top shelf right there, because it was the first thing I would see. So you know what I would eat? I would roll back. Oh, oh that looks good, you know. I have the self-control of a six-year-old. Like, if I can see it, I'm going to eat it. How many times for us, morally and spiritually, is that true? Spiritually, are we, do we have better control than that? Our passions are, are, are calling out to us, begging us to go do something. If we're going to have self-control, then it requires submitting that to Christ and asking Him to change us. We're all of us. No matter what your age, gender, we're called to self-control. And similarly, it's worth pointing out that our, uh, no matter who you are, all of us are called to submit in some form or fashion. And I point that out here because submit is like a, a, a dirty word in 2021. People don't like uh, talking about submission. But it's worth noticing here the different groups that are called to submit. So the first one is wives to husbands. And then later on, in verse 9, I believe it is, or 8, uh, it talks about bond servants. We'll talk about that in a second. Closest parallels to employers, uh, so employees and, and their bosses. So, so whoever you're working for, you're called to submit to that. But it, like we'll see in a few weeks, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, remind them to su be submissive to rulers and authorities. So all of us are called to submit to some governing authority. You can flip over to Ephesians 5.20, where the husband and wife, in different ways, but both are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just like self-control is something all of us are called to do, so submission in different ways is something all of us are called to do. And that word to modern ears today sounds like anti-woman and anti-American. Like, I'm not going to submit to anybody. I do what I want to do. But here's a picture of not a, a weak person, but somebody who loves Christ enough to know, I, I'm not going to be entitled to my way, but I trust that there's somebody that, has in, that God has put in leadership over me that I'm voluntarily submitting to their leadership. Jesus himself displayed the, the greatest example of power and love in submitting to the will of his Father, saying, not my will be done, but yours be done, Father. When he gave his life for us on the cross, that's not weak. That is great and tremendous power and love for somebody other than himself. So us, too, when, in different roles in different places, we are called to submit out of reverence for Christ. So those are some of the things they have in common. What do they have that are different? 
Every, uh, even just saying that is a pretty countercultural thing today, to say that men and women are different and that different ages have different responsibilities. Our, our world uh, elevates the younger over the older and looks down upon people who are, are older. And similarly, our world, uh, the, what's trending in our, our world today is to think that, hey, gender and sexuality is something that's fluid and you can decide and determine uh, how you want. And there's a, a tremendous danger there that is, is crushing to our culture. So as Christians, one of the things we need to affirm at the outset as it points to different things from men and women is that we were created with a gender. From the moment of our conception, we are created with a gender. And there is a purpose and a meaning for that that God intended. And there are cultural baggages that people associate with gender that can be unhelpful. But we as Christians affirm this is who God created us to be. We don't need to put the burden, especially on young people, to figure out your gender. That's an incredible burden that nobody can, that's, it's already been taken care of. We've got that figured out. God took care of that. And so we want to lovingly point people back to the Bible to say, hey, men and women are different and they have different responsibilities. So within our age and our gender, younger and older, men and women, we have different challenges and responsibilities. So the first group Paul addresses is older men. Now, old age does not automatically make us wise. We know many people who are older than us who are no wiser. So he's guarding us and saying, hey, don't just sit back on your laurels to wait for wisdom to just magically appear at a certain number birthday, right? So don't be uh, cynical or lazy. He says, old, old men, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So again, sound there being healthy. That as we get older... Maybe our, our bodies are not as healthy as they once were when we were younger, but spiritually we should be getting healthier and healthier. That our faith, our love, and our steadfastness should be greater the older we are than when we're younger. I mean, take the example of Caleb in the Old Testament. If you know Caleb's story in Numbers chapter 13, that God's people are about to enter the promised land. And so 12 spies go into the promised land, and Caleb is one of those. And he's one of only two who come back and say, yes, just like God has promised, we can go in there. His, his faith as a young man was strong. He was sound in faith. When everybody else was saying, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't think we can do it. Those people are too big and too strong and too scary. He had sound faith and he believed God is who he says he is. But that didn't wane or grow less as he got older. No, you go over to Joshua chapter 14. It's a whole generation later. Caleb is 85 years old. And he tells Joshua that he is still as strong as he was as a young man. And he will gladly lead his group into battle. At 85, he is leading the charge into battle. And that says more about the strength of his faith than the strength of his body. God had been working in him and holding him strong for as he got older and older and getting stronger and stronger. So he addresses older men and then he addresses older women. Verse 3, old, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So similar to older men, with age could come unhealthy things, not just good things. So there are concerns here. Maybe as somebody gets older, they're less concerned in an unhealthy way about what people think. And so they're more likely to gossip or slander or stumble into alcoholism or some other kind of addiction. So he in, says instead, a, healthier, a healthy older woman cares deeply for others, especially the younger generation of women, because he calls them them to teach younger women. 
Now the third group, the teacher, the, young, the younger women, who face a special uh, set of challenges. Listen to this, verse 4 and 5. So train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Younger women, uh, having, you know, currently being married to one, uh, it, not younger than me, you know, you know I me, mean. younger in the course of, of life. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Younger women are, are, man, they're pulled in so many different directions in our culture right now. There, there is this strong, strong pull on, on young moms especially to, hey, if you're not out there in the workforce, you, you, are, you are not being what's truly supposed to be a woman. And there's a strong, strong pull the other direction that says, hey, if you're not at home with your kids full time and probably even homeschooling, man, you're not being faithful as a mom. And I just watch Amber and other, other women are just feel so torn between what our culture expects of women. And it's hard and it's difficult because your identity gets so wrapped up in this. So Paul is not saying that no woman can go outside the home and work. He knows Proverbs 31 probably better than you and I do. Proverbs 31 describes this woman who takes incredible care of her home. She's incredibly talented and gifted, and she's out working with merchants, buying and selling. So she's in the home working, and she's out the home working. So there's no one command for all women to go one way or the other. There's freedom in Christ as God leads and as circumstances may force us, different times, different ways, to be doing different things. What he is saying is that like a man, a man who's a shepherd, if I'm, if I'm called here to shepherd the church, first I have to shepherd at home. And so he's saying for the, for the wife, for a young woman who's got young children, she needs to make sure she's investing in her home, caring for her husband, and caring for her children. That's the idea of somebody who's not so busy elsewhere that they can't take care of their family. The fourth group is the younger men, and I so much appreciate this, because as you follow through, the older man's got like, you know, all these words describing what he needs to do, older women, younger women. When it comes to the younger men, do you see how much they get? This is all they get. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. They just get one thing. Like, hey, man, you got one job. You got one job. Just figure this out, man. Just figure this out. No, he probably didn't mean it quite with that kind of sarcasm. But I think what he's saying is this one thing encapsulates so many of the temptations and challenges that younger men face. Younger men face the, the, the passions and desires uh, of, of the flesh and of the world that drawing in so many ways. And if a man can have self-control, then they are drawn to maturity in such a greater way. Our, our generation, more than ever, is dragging out childhood longer and longer and longer. Do you know a teenager has only been a word for about 100 years? Like this is a relatively new concept. And my generation, the millennials, have dragged out childhood and adolescence later and later in life so that into our 20s and even 30s, we're not taking responsibility and becoming mature adults. So the call here, even from 2,000 years ago, is that for young men to look at our lives and figure out what does it mean to be self-controlled, to submit our lives to God and let Christ work in us so all the lust, ambitions, uh, all the desires of the flesh would be under the control of God, that He would direct us and He would change our lives. The fifth group mentioned is bond servants. And depending on your translation, you may read the word slave in verse 9, and that can be very, very hard to read in the Bible. And so I, this isn't the, the, the point, but i got to just at least address this briefly with three things. Uh, the first is that slavery in the, Old, in, the, in the New Testament times, the Bible times, 
very, very different than what our country went through and experienced here. In the New Testament, it was mostly financial slavery or somebody who had been captured, so it was never race-based. The United States, or the slave trade in the, the Western world, we invented that, unfortunately. Uh, frequently, this slavery was about uh, you know, some kind of bondage, and so they could, they could earn money and buy their way eventually out. So it was not a lifetime thing. But, number two, it was evil. It, it, it was wrong. It was a different kind of wrong, but it was wrong. They still treated people as property, and that is wrong. And so, number three, the New Testament laid the groundwork for slavery, not just in this form, but in every form, being overturned. Verses like Galatians 3.23, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. The New Testament was way ahead of its time in setting all people, regardless of gender or race or ethnicity or financial status, on equal playing field before God, that we are all created in God's image. So never is it okay for somebody to be owned as property. We are not property. We are people created in God's image. So if you take that and then go, okay, what does this have to say? What is it saying about us? The closest connection to our world for bond servants would be just workers, people who are employees serving a boss. And so with that, here the way this should be applied to the way you go about your job. Bond servants or employees are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. I had to look that up. That means stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So what he's saying is your work ethic, what you do at your job, can be a display of the goodness and the glorious nature of our God. How hard you work, the fact that your boss can count on you to be honest, to not steal, to show up when you're going to say you show up, and to be where you're supposed to be, to do your best, that is a display of the glory of God. I love this. Maybe my, one of my favorite phrases in the entire book of Titus here is that so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We don't make God beautiful. We just are shining the light. We're pointing to God. We're displaying Him by our actions. What a beautiful description of taking that role seriously. So you can see how he's addressed all these different people. Old men, old women, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and people who are working. No matter what role you're in, it's different, different ways, but all of it, if you face those challenges and face the responsibilities, we can live for the glory of God. Which then connects to the, kind of, if you kind of back up from that whole thing, back up from all those little descriptions and see what's this, what's this whole picture about. And I think what it gives us is a very healthy description of the church. One of the unhealthy understandings or unhealthy uh, 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 thoughts about the church is that the church is just something that somebody with a microphone on stage does. And everybody else is just along for the ride, just a spectator sports. what we just talked about in Infinity 101. That's not the picture of church. Did you see what all these people were supposed to do? The older are all teaching the younger. This is about everybody in the family of faith all working together to participate in the church. So if you step back from each of these individual descriptions and say, what is, what's the big picture? What's the big idea he's trying to get at with the, all of these different groups? What he's saying is, be a disciple-making disciples. Be a disciple-making disciple. You and I, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We follow Him in our lives. But we don't go that alone. We're bringing along other people saying, hey, look who I found. 
This is Jesus. I want you to find Jesus too. So across generations, we are giving instructions where the older's older group is the more mature group is leading the younger group to say you got to come meet this Jesus this letter is written from a guy named Paul who is a little bit older and writing to a guy named Titus and he calls him his child in the faith he's like he he is not his biological child he led him to Jesus so this is my child he's bringing him along helping him to grow so that's why this whole section is about something Titus can be doing you see words that are repeated like teach comes up in Three different times. The word train comes up. The word model comes up. The point is you're passing along the faith. You're living in such a way that you're displaying Christ to those around you. Christianity is not primarily passed along by one teacher teaching a whole group of people. Right? We see Jesus did that. He taught to the masses. But you know the way the faith passed on after Jesus? Is that he invested deeply in 12. Like we got more than 12 people here. Right? We... we we're like, well, we're doing better than Jesus. No, he invested deeply in 12 so that the 12 then would go and change the world. Same with Paul. Paul traveled all through the Roman Empire proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went. But in every case, every all those missionary journeys, he's got somebody with him. It's Paul and Silas in prison together. It's Paul and Timothy doing this. It's Paul and Titus here in Crete. They're working together. He's investing deeply in a few so that they can pass it along. That is how the faith is passed from generation to generation. We teach broadly, but we invest deeply. And we as Christians are investing in the next generation and the people after us. That's how the faith grows. That's what makes us healthy, is deeply investing in somebody else. And to take that, that to, to look back at that, that health metaphor, I mean, everybody's had a gym membership at some point or another, right? Gym memberships don't automatically make you healthy. They just make you guilty for having spent the money and you didn't go and use it, right? But if you've ever had a personal trainer, like a one-on-one -on -one trainer, man, there's so much benefit to that. I, I was in, in high school at one point training for, uh, for baseball, and for a little while I went to this guy named Jason who worked at Encore. And this guy was one of these guys that like, could pick me up and throw me through a wall with like one hand. I mean, just so strong. And he was just, he was so motivating. It's the best shape I've ever been in my life, right? And I still do things that Jason taught me, like when I'm trying to get in shape. To have somebody that knows what they're doing, that's teaching you and helping you along, that's, that's what leads to helping you being physically healthy. How much more in the faith? To have somebody, you're not just reading words on the page, you're, you're seeing it lived out. That they take this word and it's affecting their lives and they're following it the way they go. This is how we raise our children, right? We, we don't raise our children by once a week standing at the, the kitchen counter and say, children, have a seat. For 45 minutes, I'm going to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus. All right, I'll see you next week, right? No, we do instruct and we teach, but the way we raise our kids is all the little bitty conversations. Paul David Tripp calls it many, many conversations. M-A-N-Y-M-I-N-I. -I. I just spelled it out loud. That was good. All right. Many, many conversations. That we have a whole bunch of little bitty conversations with our kids. If you have kids, you know how this happens. They just randomly pop up with the deepest questions in the world. You're like, where did that come from, right? And that's how we, we just gradually, day by day, we teach and we help our kids see the Lord better. As Christians passing along the generation, passing along the faith to the next generation, the same thing happens as a church family. When we invest deeply in each other's lives and we're pouring out our lives to one another, those many, many conversations happen to point people to Jesus. 
So if you are somebody who considers yourself younger in the faith, and I don't just mean the number of birthdays you've had, but your, the progression of your faith, there, there needs to be somebody that you're turning to who is discipling you. If you don't have somebody already, find somebody who is a little bit further along and say, please disciple me. Please help me see what it means to follow Jesus better. If you consider yourself a little bit more mature, again, not just the number of birthdays, but you've been walking with the Lord a little longer, then there should be somebody that you are asking, hey, I want to disciple you. Can I help you grow in your faith? Or if you consider yourself somewhere in between, that, hey, I'm not like, I didn't become a Christian yesterday, but I don't have it all figured out, then you probably should be doing both. That's always my goal. I always want to be pouring into somebody. I want to have somebody pouring into me because I know I've got a lot left to learn. One of the biggest lessons of, our, of this pandemic and all the world that changed last year was how much we need one another. When you strip away all the personal contact, all the relationships, we realize it's, it is not good for man to be alone. And not just as a companion, but somebody to help us grow and learn what it means to follow Jesus. And if that seems intimidating or scary, don't, don't let it be. If the idea of discipling seems like, I could never do that, I, I could never... Listen... This isn't, doesn't have to be overly complicated. Find somebody that you're going to pour into, that you're going to pour into them, they're going to pour into you, and make a commitment at least once a week to get together. Share a meal, talk on Zoom, share a cup of coffee, whatever. Read one chapter of the Bible and discuss it. And then pray for one another. And having that regular accountability of saying, I, I will be here, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to share things that are hard, I need you to be open, we can work through this together. That kind of accountability, you would not believe how it changes your life. Because the Christi Christianity, our faith, was never just meant to be something you figured out on your own. The very first disciples figured it out by watching Jesus walk day by day. And they figured out what it meant to be younger men growing to be older men by watching a man who was further along in the faith. And so it is, women teaching women, men teaching men, growing as disciples. It takes a tremendous work of the Spirit to be able to do that well, but He can do it. So look into that, look into what He's calling us to do. And then here's the thing, if you're going to do that, then it, it's going to hold you accountable. And it matters how you live. Listen to verse 7. So after, Titus, after Paul's given Titus these instructions, he's talking directly to Titus. He says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. If you're going to be somebody who's involved in making disciples, then you have to do this. Live a life worthy of imitating. Live a life worthy of imitating. He commanded in verse 1 to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Again in verse 7, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. We have to practice what we preach. We have to live it out. And that's what he says in verse 8. Teaching with all integrity. That is, practicing what you preach. Letting our lives show the things that we are teaching. This is, this is only possible by the power of the gospel. If you and I were dependent, if it was dependent on my strength to help anybody else change anything, it would never happen. But what we have is the gospel. We are grounded in the gospel that Christ has changed my heart and that with us seeking Christ together, He can transform other people's heart. We are not bearing this weight alone. What we're saying is like Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what disciple making is. It's saying I'm committed my life to following Jesus 
And I want to help other, people's do this, other people do the same thing. Follow the same Jesus that I'm following. As you're looking into the rest of 2021, I, I especially want to put this challenge before you. To be involved in discipleship. Be involved, if you're, if you're an older person, more mature in the faith, be involved in teaching somebody who's younger. And the other way, if you're younger, need to find somebody that can help you along. And may, it doesn't have to be a program of the church, but if we can help you, we would love to help you do that. Because all of us have different unique challenges and responsibilities, different things that are going on in our lives, and we need other brothers and sisters to help walk in the faith, to figure out how to do this together as a faith family and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are mindful of just how weak we are. God, we, we hear this command to be self-controlled, and we have a hard enough time just, just making it through the day, much less uh, doing something above and beyond that feels holy or special. So God, we come to you today fully dependent upon the work of your Holy Spirit. God, to invest in somebody else in such a way that helps them see you feels daunting and overwhelming, and we don't feel qualified for that. And so, God, we pray that we would depend on you more and more and that our faith would grow to trust in your power and not ours. God, may we have the humility to say that we need you to be pouring into our lives and to be using others who are further along so that we may grow in faith. Lord, it is a privilege to have your word. God, we pray that through the scriptures you would make us sound in doctrine and zealous for good works. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.